Report from Family Life, bringing a Christian worldview to what's happening in New York, Pennsylvania, across the country, and around the world. Weather with Kevin Williams, plus special features and reports with the Family Life News team. Now, here's what's happening. Good afternoon. Welcome to the broadcast. Summer warmth to start your work week. It is October, folks, but feels more like August out there today as temps soar into the 80s, both today and tomorrow. Here's Spectrum News meteorologist Mike Goldrick. The weather theme this week will be well above average temperatures. Next chance of rain, not till late Thursday when a cold front arrives. Enjoy it while it lasts because it won't last much longer. We're back into the 60s to end the work week. Trump on trial in New York City. Former President Donald Trump in court today fighting a $250 million civil suit filed by the Attorney General of New York. Tish James contends Trump inflated his assets to secure bank loans and she calls that fraud. Trump says those loans were paid back in full. So this case is without merit. And this is what we have. It's a scam. It's a sham. The banks got back their money. There was no crime. The crime is against me. The trial could last into December. The U.S. Supreme Court began its fall term today. There are major cases on the docket having to do with gun rights, social media, and gerrymandering. Last month, there were 260,000 migrant encounters at our southern border. That's the most of any month in history. Brandon Judge is president of the National Border Patrol Council. If we had the proper policy, we could stop this immediately. It's like a light switch. If we we are able to do our jobs, if we're able to deport people, if we're able to hold people into custody rather than rewarding them by releasing them into the United States, people will stop coming. Over two million migrant encounters so far this year. Congress has kicked the proverbial can down the road when it comes to a spending plan that keeps Uncle Sam open for business. Lawmakers averting a government shutdown over the weekend, but it's only a 45-day temporary solution. House Speaker McCarthy says something was better than nothing, though. There has to be an adult in the room. I am going to govern which what is best for this country. The funding bill keeps the government running through mid-November. The deal, however, could cost McCarthy his job. Conservative firebrand Matt Gates is moving to oust the House Speaker, claiming he caved to Democrats. We need to move on with new leadership that can be trustworthy. Look, the one thing everybody has in common is that nobody trusts Kevin McCarthy. The House Speaker says Matt Gates is grandstanding. I'll survive. You know, this is personal with Matt. He's more interested in securing TV interviews than doing something. He wanted to push us into a shutdown, bring it on, let's get over with it, and let's start governing. McCarthy promising a probe as well into New York Democrat Jamal Bowman, who pulled a fire alarm that many think was meant to delay the vote on the spending package. GOP Congressman Corey Mills. The guy was a principal. He knows what a fire alarm is. The way it looks right now with the video, it's pretty indisputable that he knew exactly what he was doing. Bowman denies it. He pulled the alarm to interfere with the vote. He claims it was an accident. California Governor Gavin Newsom's picked pro-abortion activist LaFonza Butler to succeed the late Dianne Feinstein in the U.S. Senate. Once confirmed this week, Butler will become just the third black woman to ever serve in the U.S. Senate. 2024 White House hopeful Robert Kennedy Jr. makes a major announcement next week. Many think he's about to ditch the Democratic Party and run as an independent candidate. Kaylee McGee-White is with the Washington Examiner. This is 
an indictment of the DNC where they choose the candidate, they force it onto voters, and they refuse them a choice in this matter. Polls suggest nearly half the public would welcome a third-party candidate if President Biden and Donald Trump are the nominees next year. A recent ABC News poll shows independent voters prefer Trump over Biden by double digits. Get ready to pay it back. 40 million Americans resuming their student loan payments this month. They officially went into effect this Sunday after an over three-year pause brought on by the COVID pandemic. More than 75,000 Kaiser Permanente workers are getting ready to go on what would be the biggest health care strike in U.S. history. People are just really, really tired. We're working full time and then we're working overtime and then we're working double time. The three-day work stoppage would affect Kaiser hospitals and clinics in California, Oregon, Washington State, Washington, D.C., and Colorado. The strike continues at the United Auto Workers Union. That's causing a great deal of angst within the automotive industry. Production of many mid-sized and larger SUVs has been halted along with mid-sized pickup trucks. Parts depots have also been impacted. At Ford, Executive Kumar Galhotra says not making explorers, Broncos, and Rangers hurts. If this continues... Uh, week after week, of course, it will have a substantial impact on our business. All total, 25,000 auto workers are now on the picket lines. Jeff Gilbert, Detroit. There won't be any giant pandas in this country by the end of next year, and that's the first time that's happened in over 50 years. Zoos in D.C., Memphis, and San Diego returning their pandas to communist China. Atlantis will be gone by the end of 2024. Some suspect strained relations between the U.S. and China is the reason why. He was known for his knuckleball. Boston Red Sox Hall of Famer Tim Wakefield has died. Swing and a miss. Third strikeout for Tim Wakefield. Wakefield wobbled the knees of many a batter throughout his career. He played a pivotal role in Boston's 2004 World Series championship, the first for Beantown in over 86 years. Baseball analyst John Flaherty. This is a gut punch. Uh, you know, I caught Tim or tried to catch him my last spring training and retired as a member of the Red Sox and uh, you know I always will think of Tim Wakefield not of his knuckleball but I'll think of the gentleman that he was. Wakefield won over 200 games throwing that knuckleball. He played 19 seasons with the Pirates and Red Sox and was inducted into the Boston Hall of Fame in 2016. Tim Wakefield dead of brain cancer at the age of 57. Still to come on the noon report search for a missing girl. Republicans all in for Dave McCormick and calls grow louder to close the border. Good afternoon. I'm Kevin Williams looking at some summary air for the next several days. I'll have the numbers in the forecast coming up in 10. All right, Kevin, thank you very much. Some tough stuff to get through today in Saratoga County, New York, where authorities continue their search for a missing nine-year-old girl. Charlotte Senna may have been abducted on Saturday night from the Moreau Lake State Park near Albany. Here's Governor Kathy Hochul. We are leaving no stone, no branch, no table, no cabin. Unturned. The young girl was camping with her family when she went for a bike ride and never returned. The bike was found, but not young Charlotte. Lieutenant Colonel Richard Mazzone with the New York State Police. Following our exhaustive search of the park, we took that step of issuing the Amber Alert because we felt uh, that after that exhaustive search, when we couldn't find her here, it was uh, quite possible that uh, an abduction had taken place. Charlotte's aunt, Janae Senna, is pleading with the public 
for help. No tip is insignificant. So if anyone has any information at all, saw anything in the vicinity of the entrance to the Moreau Lake State Park or are camping here and have any information at all, she is just a sweet, adorable girl. Over 100 law enforcement personnel involved in the search for that missing fourth grader. A University of Pennsylvania scientist awarded this year's Nobel Prize for Medicine today for his groundbreaking work at development of a COVID vaccine. Dr. Drew Weissman will share the award with a colleague from overseas. The Nobel Committee claims Weissman's research saved lives, especially during the early days of the pandemic. New York Governor Kathy Hochul calling for limits on who's allowed into this country from Mexico. She admitted over the weekend that the Empire State is overwhelmed with asylum seekers. We want them to have a limit on who can come across the border. It is too open right now. Uh, people coming from all over the world are finding their way through simply saying they need asylum. And the majority of them seem to be ending up in the streets of New York. 125,000 migrants have arrived in New York since last spring. Pennsylvania Republicans are working to prevent a repeat performance of last year's crowded and combustible primary election as they aim to flip a Democrat-held U.S. Senate seat next year. The GOP's unanimously endorsed businessman Dave McCormick as their party nominee. That happened over the weekend. McCormick will take on longtime incumbent Bob Casey Jr., who has never lost a general election. The race could ultimately decide whether the GOP takes back the Senate. The self-driving vehicle industry is shifting gears in Pennsylvania. More on that story from Family Life's Brian Query. Not long ago, self-driving cars could be regularly seen cruising along the streets of western Pennsylvania as Pittsburgh served as a hub for testing the technology. But such car sightings have become rare as companies and investors are changing lanes to a different type of self-driving technology, focusing more on open road travel instead of inner city driving. A new venture launching in Pittsburgh called Stack AV would be the second firm in Western PA to begin design of self-driving trucking technology in the region. Officials point to trucking as a huge industry to tap into as it generated over $940 billion in gross freight revenues last year. The technology would also help address the shortage in truck drivers with an estimated 80,000 driving positions unfilled. Brian Query, Family Life News. The Great Pumpkin Farm in Clarence, New York hosted a World Pumpkin Way Off over the weekend. At the way off, local farmers were able to showcase the area's biggest grown pumpkins. This year's winning pumpkin tipped the scales at 2,023 pounds from a family in Williamsville. It also marked the second year in a row that same family took home the top prize and the $1,000 that came with it. The Great Pumpkin Farm Fall Festival is open daily from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. through October 31st. A calendar of events is available online at greatpumpkinfarm.com. D. Haley. Family Life News. After a year-long renovation effort, the Pennsylvania Veterans Memorial at Fort Indian Town Gap National Cemetery reopened to the public today. The memorial, which was dedicated in 2001, is nationally recognized as the largest veterans memorial located in any of the national cemeteries. The department said the memorial structure was in good condition but needed repairs and alterations to address areas of damage due to long-term exposure to the elements. Terry 
Diener, Family Life News. And the results are in from this year's Wine Glass Marathon, New York's second largest marathon. That happened yesterday in New York's southern tier. More than 6,000 runners took part in the race from Bath to Corning. The overall winner was Joseph Whelan of Webster, New York. He finished the 26.2-mile course in two hours and 16 minutes. Lindsay Perino was the women's winner this year with a time of two hours and 44 minutes. We've got more sports next on the Family Life Noon Report. Good afternoon, I'm Randy Snavely. Bob, the Buffalo Bills flexed their muscles yesterday and blew out the team that scored 70 points a week ago. The Bills now in first place in the AFC East after dominating the Miami Dolphins 48-20. Josh Allen brought his A game to the contest. 21-25 passes, 320 yards, four touchdowns. He also ran one in for a score. Stephon Diggs caught three of his touchdowns passes. In East Rutherford, the Kansas City Chiefs jumped out to a 17-0 lead. Looked like it was going to be a blowout, but then the Jets came roaring back. Kansas City held on to eke out a 23-20 win. The Eagles remain undefeated after pulling out an overtime thriller against Washington 34-31. Jake Elliott converted all four of his field goal attempts, including the 54-yard game winner. Pittsburgh got blown out by Houston 30-6. Both of those teams now 2-2 two two on the season. Other winners in the NFL, the Jags, Broncos, Ravens, Titans, Rams, Bucks, Vikings, Chargers, Cowboys, and 49ers. Major League Baseball's playoffs begin tomorrow. The Rays will host the Rangers. Toronto goes to Minnesota. In the National League, the Brewers are home against Arizona. And Miami goes to Philadelphia to take on the Phillies. Atlanta, Baltimore, Houston, and the Dodgers all have buys. The Ryder Cup's going back to the Europeans. They beat the Americans 16.5 to 11.5. The United States has not won the Cup on European soil for 30 years. And at Talladega, Ryan Blaney took the checkered flag, holding off Kevin Harvick, who was later DQ'd. William Byron finished second. Denny Hamlin, Corey LaJoy, and Austin Sindrick rounded out the top five. That is a look at sports. All right, Randy, thank you. Still to come on the Noon Report, Trump on trial again. This time, cameras are in the courtroom. The fire alarm incident on Capitol Hill and New York's fan ban. Behave or be gone. Welcome to Breakpoint, a daily look at an ever-changing culture through the lens of unchanging truth. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street. 14-year-old Sage Blair had already been through a lot by the time she was legally adopted by her grandparents. And when she entered high school, she began to experiment, as many of her friends were, with her so-called gender identity. All the while, the school deliberately withheld information from her adoptive parents. Sage was encouraged to adopt the name Draco, claim male pronouns, and use the boys' bathroom. Only after Sage was physically assaulted by a group of boys in that bathroom did her parents find out what was happening. So Sage ran away. After connecting with an online quote-unquote friend, she was drugged, trafficked, and sexually exploited. Nine days later, she was located by the FBI in Baltimore. 
Testifying before a House subcommittee in Virginia, Michelle Blair remembered that drive to pick up her daughter, where she found out that she and her husband had actually been summoned before a Maryland judge for their refusal to support their daughter's so-called transition. Quote, they didn't even tell Sage that we came for her. We finally enter the courtroom and Sage appears on a huge Zoom screen from a prison cell. She looks tiny and broken and I cry out, I love you, Sage. And Sage responds, I love you too, Nana. That's when Sage's state-appointed attorney rebuked Michelle, saying, quote, she is a he, his name is Draco, not Sage. Then the judge accused the Blairs of emotional and physical abuse. Though, in Michelle's words, quote, we just learned that she claimed to be trans and we're willing to use any name and pronoun to bring her home. My husband was so tearful, he kept forgetting the new pronoun, so the judge had the bailiff remove him from the courtroom. I was pleading for my child to be returned and treated for her unspeakable trauma. Judge Kershaw told me that if I used the word trauma again, he'd throw me out too. Well, Judge Kershaw withheld custody from Sage's parents for over two months. And during that time, Sage was transferred to a state facility for boys, where once again, she was sexually abused. She ran away again, and once again, was a victim of human trafficking. When she resurfaced months later in Texas, she was returned to Virginia and spent more months in a court-appointed mental health care clinic. The counselors at that center pushed her towards a double mastectomy as a solution for her mental health issues. Today, nearly a year after the ordeal began, Sage has been allowed to come home. Her adoptive parents were vindicated after a months-long state inquiry concluded that there had been no evidence of abuse on their part. For Sage, however, the damage has been done. Now, even with the loving support of her parents and having long desisted from her trans identity, she still suffers from severe anxiety, panic attacks, and medical issues resulting from all that she suffered. And the most damning part of Sage's story is just how tragically predictable all of it was once the state chose to ignore decades of research, the entire weight of human experience, common sense, and the rights of parents to take care of their children. Still, Sage's example is about as plain as any I've heard of just how trans ideology destroys our most essential relationships, of a child to her body, of a child to her parents, of a family with a wider community, of a judge to justice, of citizens to state authorities. When legal authorities embrace bad ideas, the consequences are just all the more devastating for the victims. There's also a lesson here for Christians who are unsure of whether or not we should engage in politics and who wish to only stay in our lane of proclaiming the gospel. To those folks, Sage's story speaks loudly as well. Every generation of Christians who have ever faced conflict within a pagan cultural context has had to protect children. Our pagan moment is no different. We will answer before God about whether or not we remain silent or we dare to speak on behalf of children like Sage and her parents who face incredible opposition just like hers did. May we be known for our love for them, expressed through a courage that challenges evils like the evils that Sage faced until they are a thing of the past. For the Colson Center, I'm John Stone Street with Breakpoint. Today's Breakpoint was co-authored by Casey Leander. For more resources to look like a Christian today, go to breakpoint.org. Thank you, John. Workweek weather with Kevin Williams next. Here is your family life weather forecast. Through the afternoon, sunny to partly cloudy and warm. High in the 70s to near 80. Mainly clear and mild tonight. Some patchy fog reforms late to low in the 50s. Plenty of sunshine and warm tomorrow and Wednesday with high temperatures anywhere from the mid-70s to the middle 80s. I think he said middle 80s there. Thank you very much, Kevin Williams. This is the Noon Report. I'm Bob Price. Lots going on Monday, the 2nd of October. Donald Trump on trial today in New York City, and cameras are in the courtroom. He's being sued for fraud by Attorney General Tish James. Claiming you have money that you do not have does not amount to the art of the deal. 
It's the art of the steal. James says Trump broke the law by overvaluing his assets, and she's suing for $250 million. Legal analyst Ken Delanian. This is enormously significant. Even though this is a civil case, not a criminal case, the repercussions for Donald Trump and his business organization are incredible. Trump claims the case is without merit. Every time the radical left Democrats, Marxists, communists, and fascists indict me, I consider it a great badge of honor because I'm being indicted for you. Trump was on the stump last night in New York and appeared in court today. That trial is expected to last until December. Congress managed to avoid a government shutdown over the weekend, but now a new battle is emerging on Capitol Hill. House Speaker McCarthy facing calls for his ouster from a member of his own party, conservative firebrand Matt Gates. I do intend to file a motion to vacate against Speaker McCarthy this week. The Florida Republican wants to oust the Speaker for passing the short-term spending bill with Democratic support. Gates accuses McCarthy of breaking his promise to rein in spending. McCarthy, meantime, may investigate New York Democrat Jamal Bowman, who pulled a fire alarm at the Capitol. Bowman claims it was an accident, but many on the other side of the aisle think he did it on purpose to delay that vote. As a school principal, he literally ran fire drills. His job was to pull the fire alarm as a test. So the idea that he had no idea what would happen when he pulled the fire alarm, he's done it as a principal. That was his job. That's Mark Thiessen, a former speechwriter for former President George W. Bush. I'm not somebody who downplays what happened on January 6th, but hundreds of people have been charged under 8 U.S. Code 1512 C2, which makes it a crime to obstruct a meeting of Congress. And Donald Trump has been charged under that law, and he only is charged with inciting other people to do it. Here we have a video of the congressman literally pulling a fire alarm in order to stop Congress from voting on a bill that would have kept the government open. And by the way, this wasn't like some procedural vote. People are saying, well, obstructing the electoral count was very serious. I agree. So is stopping a vote to prevent the government from being shut down in a few hours if the Congress didn't pass that law. So this is a very serious thing that he's done. Political analyst Mark Thiessen, Congressman Bowman, could face criminal charges for pulling that fire alarm. Britain is banning cell phones in school. The country's education secretary announcing the policy today. How the ban is enforced, though, will be up to each school to decide. Experts enacted the edict after a year-long review on the impact cell phones have on kids' behavior. A Chicago alderman says the state's new progressive criminal justice reforms have emboldened criminals. Democrat Ray Lopez. Innocent people are being hunted down like prey in the city of Chicago, and the screams, the cries for help have gone unanswered. And as we see the new law ending cash bail, criminals are taking note. They've become emboldened. Illinois this year became the first state in the country to entirely eliminate cash bail. A new Kaiser Family Foundation poll shows most Americans, 52%, do not plan on getting the new COVID shot. 70% of Democrats will, 75% of Republicans won't. More evidence that breastfed babies are the best-fed babies. Experts say breastfeeding helps prevent childhood obesity. Research presented for the European Association for the Study of Diabetes shows that babies breastfed for at least six months had a lower percentage of body fat at age nine compared to children who weren't breastfed. Michael George reporting the American Library Association facing pushback today after its president said, and we're quoting here, libraries should be a site of socialist organizations 
agonizing, end quote. Lowell Walters is a Christian librarian from Arkansas. As a Christian librarian, I do not follow the expectation of the American Library Association membership that we leave our personal convictions at the door. True freedom of thought allows me to perform my duties from a Christian worldview. Walters says Christians need to know their rights in the public square as public libraries increasingly endorse unbiblical values. I try to be a Christian first and a librarian second, and I would advise that of any other Christian librarians out there. The ALA is a large professional organization with a loud lobbying voice. But it is no more than that either. Alters adds that the ALA is actively campaigning against the rights of parents to parent their children. And that's straight from the playbook of Marxist theology, he says. Once again, Lowell Walters. Never abandon the public libraries. We are the light of the world as Christians. If you're a librarian or if you're a Christian citizen, stay in until you're kicked out. Always keep in mind that the goal is to testify for the Lord and to bring glory to Him. It is not about winning the argument. In the final analysis, Walter says you cannot expect non-Christians to behave like Christians, and it's impossible to legislate morality. In conclusion, says if you want to change the culture at your local library, start by changing your neighborhood, and the library will follow. You're listening to the Noon Report, a Monday edition on Family Life. Welcome back to another edition of Issues in Education. Mondays during the Noon Report, we spotlight the issues impacting our schools with Dr. Ralph Kerr at the Teaching and Learning Institute in Houghton, New York. Ralph, we are going to start out of the gates with a good one this week. The New York State Public High School Athletic Association. It's just instituted a new three strikes and you're out policy for unruly fans. This is for all sporting events at all districts statewide. How would this policy work? And are you a fan of the action that Albany is taking here? Well, I'm a fan of the action, that's for sure, because fans need to behave themselves. The way it works is that if you are kicked out of a game, then you're automatically suspended. You can't attend the next game. And if it happens three times, you're out for the season and the playoffs. Gotcha. And I, I think it's a good thing. All right. Well, let's hope the behavior will change. It's got to. We can't get umpires. We can't get referees. Hey, the cell phone in school debate is alive and well. There was a district in New Jersey, just a tragic story. It's actually banned cell phones in the classroom after a 14-year-old committed suicide. Apparently, some students beat this kid up and then put that on social media. Can't imagine that kind of depravity. But, Ralph, it begs the question about what role do these devices have in our schools anyway? And I know a lot of teachers have a lot of opinions about this. Why do we tolerate cell phones in school, Ralph? From your question, uh, it infers to me that you're not in favor of having cell phones. I'll be really controversial on this one and say that I think cell phones have a place in school. Lots of creative teachers are using cell phones in the classroom with their students. They're using it for research and for instruction. On the other hand, the simpler answer is just to lock them up. But I know that you'll get a lot of 
of pushback from parents on that because they think that they do have emergency use, which of course is true also. And then, you know, we talked a lot about a lot of issues on this show, but this might be a first. The length of the school lunch line. Uh, there was a study in Education Week that said teenagers are not getting enough time to eat their lunch in the cafeteria. I don't know how much time you need to eat lunch, Ralph, but do you agree that that's true? And if it is, what can we do about it? Well, this is a really significant issue. The teachers are concerned about that. The American Academy of Pediatrics recommends students get at least 20 minutes for lunch. Unfortunately, lunch lines are taking longer to go through. And part of that is because more and more students are using either free or reduced lunch. And for some students, it's the main meal that they get all day. But I think there are some things that schools can do. You could not have one single lunch period where everybody in the building and in smaller districts, that's what happens. Yeah. Everybody goes to lunch at the same time. But if you start to move away from the single lunch period, then you're worried about, was well, it okay for some students to be eating lunch at 10.30 in the morning or at 1.30 in the afternoon? The other thing that I would say is teachers in the survey that you cited, some of them want uh, lunch periods to uh, be increased to up to 50 minutes. And uh, while I wouldn't be opposed to that, I guess my question would be, where does that extra time come from? Are teachers willing to... Uh, uh, lengthen the school day in order to accommodate an extra half hour for lunch? Or are we going to end up reducing the teaching time, which I am adamantly opposed to? We don't have enough time as it is now in terms of the academics. Yeah, and that might be why in Pennsylvania, there was a, a bill last week, House Bill 1507, which would allow superintendents to decide whether the school year is 180 days or 990 hours. And if you do the math, that's 180 days. So the question would be, why does does it matter hours over days? That might be related to what you're just talking about there, Ralph. Well, it could be, or it also could be a move towards, uh, which we talked about last week, the four-day school week. Because ah, if yeah. you lengthen the number of hours, then you could do it in four days rather than uh, five a week, which would shorten the week, but certainly give you the same number of hours. That's going to be really controversial, although it's good that the uh, legislature in Pennsylvania is at least willing to be a little bit creative in terms of giving superintendents and and boards of education, various options in terms of the school instead of saying this is the way it is and that's the only way it can be. All right. Well, hey, we've been a lot of places this week, uh, but if you have any questions about any of these issues discussed today, Ralph, or if you want to know what is the Teaching and Learning Institute anyway, there's information online. Where can they find you, sir? Bob, great to be with you again today. And people that have those interests you just described can simply go to whyrun.org, whyrun.org. Dr. Kerr, thank you very much. Issues in Education comes your way Mondays during the Nerd Report or online at familylife.org. Just look for the news icon on the podcast page. Good afternoon. Here is your Family Life regional weather forecast. Well, it's a pretty smooth sailing weather-wise over these next several days with a taste of late summer as high pressure at the surface and loft will dominate our weather pattern. The next change will come late week when a cold front will arrive with showers and rumbles of thunder on Friday and much chillier air for the upcoming weekend. In the meantime, for the day today through the afternoon, sunny to partly cloudy and warm. High in the 70s to near 80. Mainly clear and mild tonight, some patchy fog reforms late, below in the 50s. Plenty of sunshine and warm tomorrow and Wednesday with high temperatures anywhere from the mid 70s 
to the middle 80s. All right, thank you, Kevin. And finally, at noon today, a 104-year-old Chicagoan has just set a new Guinness World Record for the oldest person to go skydiving. Yeah, 104 years old. I should say 104 years young is Dorothy Hoffner. She jumped out of a perfectly good airplane yesterday at the Skydive Airport in Ottawa, Illinois. It was wonderful. It was a nice, peaceful If you couldn't hear her there, she said she had to keep herself awake so she could see the scenery. For Hoffner, this whole skydiving thing, well, it's not her first rodeo. See, she made her first jump out of an airplane in 2019 when she was at the ripe young age of 100. Good for you, Dorothy Hoffner. And that's the world we live in. Monday, October 2nd. I'm Bob Price. Family Life News. You've been listening to the Noon Report. Heard weekdays on Family Life. Thank you for listening.